morning. I've got good news for you. And for all people. Air conditioning is coming to our church. <laughs> Should be here in October. Sometime that's the plan. And we don't know who to blame for that. I'm not looking at you, John Boyle, our executive pastor. <clears throat> we ordered it in January. So there you have it. The good news is we're together here today worshiping Jesus Christ, who is the living Savior. And uh, we're free to do that. We enjoy being in the presence of God and with each other. It, it is a privilege to be here and now open the Word of God together. And I, I have good news for you, too, that we're going to study the Gospel of Luke all the way till Easter. And it's going to be a journey traveling chapter by chapter through this gospel, which is going to unfold several things for us. I have three aspirations for our church as we study the book of Luke. One, that you would have confidence that the things that are in the Bible written about Jesus Christ are absolutely true and life-changing. And second, that they lead to the deepest kind of joy that we can experience as human beings, knowing that what God has said is true, and it has a life impact beyond this life into the life to come. And the other thing I'm praying will happen us as we study the book of Luke is that we will progress in our spiritual life. So confidence and joy and progress spiritually is what I hope will happen as we study the gospel of Luke together. If you have your Bible, let's open together to the opening chapter. And when I say that the gospel is good news for all people, um, I want to share with you that the arc of the book of Luke is to tell God's story. And that story is that God sent His Son into the world, and He came and lived a perfect life, and He went to the cross, and He died there for sinners, that whoever would believe in Him would experience the forgiveness of sins completely and would escape eternal punishment in hell and have instead for all of eternity the presence of God in heaven. That is good news. That's the arc of the gospel of Luke, that Jesus came, that He died, and that He rose again, and that He is in heaven, and that He is the Lord of all who trust Him, and that He gives us eternal life forever. The word gospel is the word Good news. Good news. Like this is the best news that ever has been told. In fact, Hollywood made a movie, The Greatest Story Ever Told, and it was about the life of Jesus. It's interesting that even Hollywood knows that this is the best story that ever happened. They don't get that right most of the time. But this is the greatest story of what God did in His Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world. The author of the book is the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the author. Luke wrote two books in the New Testament, the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, and the book of Acts, as we'll see later. Together, those two books comprise the announcement of Jesus and John the Baptist and the life of Jesus and the death work of Jesus, and then the start of the church, and then the church unfolding and the church going all the way to Rome. So Luke writes... Um, 
very close to Paul, the same amount, about one-third of the New Testament, telling the entire historical account of the announcement of Christ to the spread of the church to Rome. It covers about 60 years of the history of Christ's life and his work in the unfolding of the church between Luke and the book of Acts. That Luke is the author is what we'll try to explore a little bit this morning, but it is a historical book. It's a theological book. Luke is a pastoral book presenting the love of God for us. What's in Luke's mind when he writes his gospel are many theological things, including how much God loves all people. Luke was not a Jewish man. And Luke was not a follower of Jesus during Jesus' life, as we'll see. He was a Gentile. He was a physician. He was well-learned. And somewhere, probably in Antioch, as the church is going out, as told in the book of Acts, someone came to Antioch, and Luke was converted to Christianity having never met Jesus. He's not an apostle or follower of Jesus, but he is an educated physician and a historian and a writer and goes on to become a servant to the Apostle Paul. He is the author of the Gospel of Luke. He begins the Gospel with four verses, which in classic writing, Greek writing style would be the prologue, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Excited to see the prologue of the Gospel of Luke? All right, if you have your Bible, we're in Luke. I'm going to read the first four verses here. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now that is classic one-sentence prologue in Greek literature style. Others did that in contemporary Greek in that day. It's a familiar style. It's not written without a context or without research. Luke is trying to summarize what he's going to do throughout the whole gospel. So verse 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. Luke begins by saying many people wrote about the life of Jesus. Many have undertaken to tell the narrative of the things that happened in Jerusalem. And I wasn't there. But many have done that. You have in your Bible, as you open the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospel accounts of the life and the work of Jesus, written from four different perspectives. Matthew and John were apostles of Jesus. Mark and Luke were not. But they were companions of Peter and Paul, particularly, respectively, as we're going to see in the book of Acts in a moment. So those four comprise the opening of our New Testament telling the life 
of Jesus from four different perspectives. And Luke just begins by saying, many people have begun to undertake to record what happened among us in Jerusalem in the life and times of Jesus, the Messiah. Matthew and John were both apostles, and in some time later in his life, Luke probably met them. And you can imagine Luke meeting Matthew and John and others and asking them, what happened with Jesus? I wasn't there. I was in Antioch, but tell me what happened. But notice what he says. He doesn't say many undertook to tell the life of Jesus. Many undertook to compile a narrative of who Jesus is. But instead, he says, many undertook to compile a narrative about the things that were accomplished among us. And the word accomplish means to fulfill completely, to have complete fulfillment of something. And in this case, I would argue that what Luke is beginning to say is many people began to compile an account of what was fulfilled as God was working out his plan in Jesus. What, what he casts a vision for is what God was doing in Christ. It would be great, and many have told the story of Jesus' life, but Luke has a bigger picture that God is working out something for all the world, for all people, in the life and the death of Jesus Christ. It's about what God is doing in the lives of men and women through the work of Jesus. So it's not surprising that we later hear Paul say God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. As Luke begins the gospel, he says many people began to write what God was accomplishing among us. Verse 2, though, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, and they delivered to us. Luke is saying, I, I talked to primary sources, eyewitnesses and people who were ministers of the word. As I compiled my gospel, this gospel of Luke, I consulted with those who were right there on the scene, eyewitnesses, primary sources, and they were servants of the word. They were ministers of, I think the word here is the gospel, the good news. Luke is saying, I talked to those people. He's not writing down as someone who was right there, but someone who talked to those who were right there. Um, and he searched carefully about all of these things. Interesting that Luke was not one of Jesus' original followers, but he talked to all of them, and he researched them. So much so that when he writes the second book in his series, Luke and Acts, he, he picks up, maybe we should look at this verse from Acts chapter, well, no, we'll come back to it. He picks up a, an account of um, telling all that happened through Acts chapter 1 through 15, and then beginning in Acts chapter 16, the author of the book of Acts begins to use the pronoun we, as if now in the middle of the book of Acts, the author who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the first half of Acts is one of the participants in the rest of the story of the book of Acts. And that means that Luke entered into the story of the unfolding 
of the gospel of Jesus and the work of the church about halfway through the book of Acts, and then he's with the Apostle Paul all the way through to the end of the book of Acts. Are you with me? So what that indicates is that Luke wasn't around in Jerusalem in the life of Jesus, but he enters into the work of the apostles through the book of Acts about halfway through, and then as he writes the rest of the book of Acts, he's talking about himself as being present with the apostles as they're going everywhere. In fact, if you want to trace it carefully from Acts chapter 16 to the end, Luke is with the apostle Paul as his helper and his companion. He's on the shipwreck of Acts chapter 27. He's on the boat with Paul. Luke is there. So when he says, from the beginning, we talk to the eyewitnesses, you can imagine Luke being with Paul, probably with Peter, probably having met John and Matthew and talking to all of them and all of the people around who were present eyewitnesses. And he is compiling first and primary sources of the construction of his gospel. He's there. We don't know a lot about Luke, but what we know then, having been with the Apostle Paul in the second half of Acts, that Paul refers to him three times in his writings. And one of the things he says to him in Colossians chapter one, uh, 4, verse 14, is he calls Luke the blessed physician. He's a doctor. And you know that Paul experienced some really challenging beatings without food, physical needs. How great would it be to have a doctor with you in that? Luke was there. Luke never refers to himself as a doctor. He's very humble. He doesn't refer to himself as having credentials, but Luke was an educated man. He was a physician. He's a historian, and he's compassionate, caring for Paul. In Philemon, verse 23, Paul refers to him as my fellow worker. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is uh, about to go to death as a martyr, and one of the little phrases he says is, Luke alone is with me. At the end of his life, when he's about to face martyrdom, Luke is with me. Everyone else has deserted me. Luke, what a great character. So he's serious about comprising a gospel that is accurate, having talked to all of these eyewitnesses, and he's going to compose this credible account. So then verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. It seemed good to me, having talked to the eyewitnesses, to compose and record, um, having followed everything carefully, closely, accurately, um, investigated everything fully, I'm going to write an orderly or a logical account of the life of Jesus for you, most excellent Theophilus. And so we get the picture that he's writing the Gospel of Luke for one real distinguished person who bears the title, most excellent Theophilus. Who's that? We don't know too much about Theophilus, except that his name means beloved of God. Most excellent was a title given to dignitaries or someone with knighthood or someone who was somebody, and he was somebody, and Luke is writing to him 
this careful account to Theophilus. In fact, when you do go to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the second book in the series by Luke, it begins, in the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Acts begins, remember the first book, what's the first book? Luke. Let's go back to verse 3, if we could. Thank you. It seemed good to me, having followed closely everything, to write to you, O Theophilus. All we know about Theophilus is that he was probably someone of high rank who had been exposed to the gospel, and Luke is writing to him. Some have suggested that because of his place of prominence, he would become a patron of the church, and then he might be responsible for publishing this to others. We don't know that for sure, but we know that Luke was writing this to somebody who was somebody in order that he would read that and then share it with others and tell others. But for this distinguished person, Theophilus, whose name means beloved of God, he would have a carefully constructed account of the life of Jesus and all that God did through him. Verse 4 tells us with what purpose. Verse 4 says that you may have, everybody, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught, the things you've been taught. So obviously, Theophilus had some exposure to the things about Jesus. And we don't know whether he was a brand new Christian or whether he was on the fence. And this is Luke's way of trying to persuade him to become a Christian. But Luke is carefully constructing the gospel of Luke in order that, O Theophilus, most excellent one, would be able to have certainty concerning the things about Jesus. And that's what my heart is for you this morning, too, that you would have certainty about the things that you're going to be taught as we look through the gospel of Luke together. The Bible uses truth to build our faith. And a lot of people's faith in Jesus is a bit mystical or sometimes based on experiences. But Luke is careful to say, I'm going to construct a document, a gospel, a, a body of truth about the life of Jesus that's carefully researched with first and primary sources, eyewitnesses, that you would have certainty about the things about which you have already been taught. Certainty has the idea that I have an accurate conviction that these things are true, and I believe in them with all of my heart. The motivation for Luke in writing this, the purpose is that there would be certainty in heart. So let's stop for a minute. What are you certain about today? What are you sure of? Most of the things we hear today in our world, you listen to, turn on the news, and don't you sometimes say, is that true? Is, can I trust that? I mean, right? You with me, right? Over the last couple of years, like it was true then, and then it changed. How can you know for certain what's true? Luke is committed under the authority of the Holy Spirit to write and compose the gospel of Luke, that you would have certainty about the things which are taught in it. 
And my heart for you is that you would, as you journey through the gospel of Luke, develop such a certainty about who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has accomplished, and what it means for our life that he is who he says he is. Because most of us have a great deal of insecurity about the things we absolutely know for sure. There's a lot of things we're not certain about in our world. But if you are certain about who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has accomplished, you're good. Because you can deal with things that you're not certain about if you know the ultimate reality of who God is and who Christ is and you're certain about that. You can deal with some uncertainties about other things, right? Can I illustrate it? I have a lot of insecurities as a homeowner because I stink at plumbing. And about a month ago, there was a faucet on my bathroom sink that leaked. And I looked at it for about two months. You turn it on, it would drip. You turn it off, it would not drip. And then you just dry the water off and it was good. And until you use it again and it would drip and then you just dry it off. But I knew this was fundamentally wrong that when I turned the faucet, it dripped on top of the counter. So I did what every good homeowner did. I, I got on YouTube and I tried to figure out what was going on here. And I figured it out. I figured it out that I had to take the handle off, uh, turn the water off, take the handle off, unscrew the cartridge, take the cartridge out, pull the seal out and the receptacle, put a new seal in, put the cartridge back in, put the handle on, turn the water back on. It's still dripping water on my faucet. I said, all right, turn the water off, take the handle off, pull the cartridge out, push the seal down deeper into the place, put the cartridge back in, put the handle on, turn the water on, turn it on. Still water on the counter. I almost lost my sanctification in that moment. <laughs> but I said, I don't know how to do this. I need an expert. I called the plumber. It's Friday about 1 o'clock. And he said, I'd be happy to come. It's $200 an hour. I said, come quickly. <laughs> he came. He took the hand, turned the water off, took the handle off, pulled the cartridge out, said, you need a new cartridge, put a new cartridge in, $14, put the handle back on, turned the water on, and it was dry. $200 an hour, 10 minutes. My expert fixed that. I needed him. And it was the best $200 I spent that day. I said, how much time do I have left in my hour? <laughs> he said, you got about 40 minutes. I said, come outside here, fix this. So he fixed a couple other things, and I got my money's worth. <clears throat> the point is, there's a lot of things we don't know about, and we need someone to come alongside and say, this is the way. We need that in our life. I want you to see Luke as being someone who was with the apostles after the death of Christ, but he carefully researched everything and eyewitnesses from those who were with him and those who were the ministers of the good news of the gospel, the apostles. He lived and dwelt with them, and he then recorded that you would have certainty that you can trust what this gospel says about Jesus and you can have confidence that he is an expert 
witness of what he writes here, and that he has been moved by the Holy Spirit to compose and record this gospel so that you would know that the things that God did in Christ, he was accomplishing for all of the world. The Gospel of Luke is a very interesting gospel because in it there are material that are, is not found in the other three gospels. John MacArthur has noted that in the Gospel of Luke, about half of the material in that gospel is unique to Luke. For example, if you measure in all four gospels, um, all the miracles that happen in all four gospels, there are about 35 specific gospel recorded miracles. 20 of them are in Luke, but of the 20 in Luke, seven are only found in Luke. Uh, if we didn't have the Gospel of Luke, we wouldn't have seven of the miracles that Jesus did. There are about 50 parables that are taught by Jesus, depending on how you define a parable, but about 50, and 35 of the parables are in Luke, and 19 of the parables are only found in Luke. If Luke hadn't recorded those, we wouldn't have them. And also, there are about 30 events in the life of Jesus which Luke records that no one else records. Seven miracles... 19 parables, 30 life events of the life of Jesus that are only found in Luke. It's a beautiful treasure, and we're going to travel through it, and one of the things that is going to happen in our souls, we're going to become confident and certain that what God was doing in Christ was reconciling the world. In the Gospel of Matthew, the word salvation isn't found. In the Gospel of Mark, it's not found. I think it's found once in John. But in Luke's Gospel, it's found six times. And in the Acts, it's found 13 times. Because in Luke's mind, what God was doing in bringing salvation was, was the most important work of what God was accomplishing, bringing the good news for all people. And because Luke is not a Jew, he is thinking about all the world. He's not just thinking about Israel. He has a unique perspective to say that Christ came for all people. So let me move to another thing I want to take away. And uh, by the way, we're not going to look at chapter 1 and 2 beyond today too much, maybe a little bit next week, especially with the narrative about the birth of Jesus because we have done, will do that in December We'll pick up at chapter 3 probably next week, but I want you to look at chapter 2 for a moment and see how Luke picks up this word Savior, salvation, in a familiar passage of Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. This is while shepherds are out in the field, shepherds in the birth narrative of Jesus who were different than Theophilus, weren't they? If Theophilus was a distinguished person of society, the shepherds were out in the field, and they were not that. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, in verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And then verse 10, and an angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, everybody, good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. And Luke is making the point, capturing what the angel said. I am going to bring through what God is going to accomplish through his son, good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. 
Or when does good news become great joy? When it's for you. The good news of what God did in his son is just news for some of you here today, probably. Because maybe it's never become personal. But when it becomes personal for you that Jesus did what he did on the cross, and you see that he gave his life for you, then it changes from facts of history to a joy in my life. Because unto you is born this day in the city of David, everyone, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The good news of great joy for all people is that there is a Savior. And this presupposes that we need to be saved. And we need to be saved because all are sinners. And Christ came into the world to save sinners. Not to serve himself, but to give himself. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for everyone who would say, Lord Jesus, you are the hope of my eternal life. Good news, great joy, all people. 2022, who are the all people? Everybody in your world. It's your teammates. It's your workmates. It's your colleagues. It's your neighbor. It's everyone, everywhere, all the time. There is good news, but it only becomes great joy when it becomes personally appropriated like it was for me. That Jesus took a sinner like me and he forgave me and he welcomed me into his family and now I know I am going to be with him forever. That is the good news of great joy. He saves his people from their sins. Okay, that's the story of the good news of the gospel of Luke. And one of the things that I pray that you'll take away from our time together is a certainty of what's written in the Bible and you'll have assurance in your life that these things are true. And the other is that you'll have deep joy. Do you have joy today? Listen, I know that life is hard, isn't it? And every once in a while, you can get discouraged. In fact, depression and anxiety is, is the affliction of our day. And if you weren't with us for the last two weeks... I'll just say in parenthesis, when you define your reality and your identity, the outcome of that is going to be discouragement and depression. But if God defines you and God defines your reality and God is the ultimate one and you know who He is and you are certain that God is who He says He is and you are who... He says you are, and he will give you eternal life as he promises to do, then you can be on really good footing about who you are, who he is, and you can have great joy that he really looks at us and says, if you trust in me, I will forgive your sins, and I will not remember them, and I will welcome you into my eternal life. Behold, there is born for you today in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's the gospel message that we're going to look at. There's one more key verse that I would want you to just look at because we want you to have confidence, we want you to have joy, and we want to have progress. And there is this little snapshot of the life of Jesus in chapter 2 and verse 52, which we may look at the section right before this next week, but 
There is just an editorial statement about Jesus before, um, a- after he's 12, but before he comes on the scene in his ministry. And it simply says of Jesus that he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, Luke is beginning to unfold the story and the presence of Jesus. And he says that Jesus grew in these four ways. He grew physically, in stature, just tracing his development as a baby in the manger, as a child who was circumcised on the eighth day, as a young boy who went to the temple. And then he just grew. Imagine that Jesus, who always existed, took on human form and went through the process of growing physically. And he grew intellectually. The one who was all-knowing, the one who always was, grew in wisdom, in his capacity as a human. Think about the humility of Jesus to take on human form and experience the progress of learning how to be a carpenter. And he grew in favor with God. He grew spiritually. He grew in his relationship with God and trusting him through trial He learned obedience from the things he suffered, the Bible tells us. He grew spiritually, and he grew sort of socially in favor with man and relationally. Jesus grew in his ability to relate to people. Now, if that was true of Jesus, my prayer for us as we go through the Gospel of Luke is not only that we'll be certain, not only that we experience deep joy, but that we will experience the progress that was even modeled in the life of Jesus as he grew. Maybe not physically, we don't need to grow too much more there, but we're going to grow intellectually. We're going to have an awareness of the things of God, and we're going to grow spiritually in our relationship to God, and I pray what will also happen is we're going to grow in relationship with each other and connecting with people. Now, the way to get the most out of this study as we go is for you to read through before next week chapters one through three. As many times as you can next week, and then we'll come and speak again. And then from then on, we'll be in chapter four and then five, and you're to read the chapter and just say, Who, what do I learn about Jesus, and how did he relate to people? If the good news is for all people, how is it that Jesus is connecting with the all people in chapter three and four, etc.? And learn as much as you can as you're going through. Our prayer is that we would grow as the Son of Man grew in his life, and that we would experience joy, and that we would be certain that the things that we study in the Gospel of Luke are true and trustworthy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege of looking into the good news about Jesus, and I pray that as we do, that you will make your good news known to us in a personal way. We really want to have a glimpse of what the good news is and know that it's rooted in who Jesus is and that it's real and true and life-changing. And I pray for any who are here today and they're brand new Christians, that they would grow in their confidence of who Jesus said he is. Or perhaps some who are on the fence and just on the verge of trusting in Jesus because everything else has failed. I pray that you would awaken our hearts to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that as we study through this gospel, you would just open our hearts to have a deep-seated sense of confidence 
faith in who Jesus is. And may the joy of the Lord fill our hearts. And then God help us grow as we follow you. This is what we pray for because we know this is what your desire is for our life. And it is the course of deepest joy for us. And we ask for that. We want to live in your joy. And so we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.